I've got a cheeky title this morning and a kind of calm title. What are you in the mood for? I'm hearing cheeky, yeah. Well, all the cheeky people are saying cheeky. All the calm people are keeping quiet. So another chance for anybody who wants a calm title to say calm. Okay, I think the cheekies have it and maybe I'll tell you the calm. So... So, so for the record, um, when this goes online, whoever may be listening to us now, we democratically agree, agreed that this, that this message would be called this. See, I didn't tell you what the cheeky title was. In fact, cheeky may be underselling this, this particular version. I want to talk about the demonization of God. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the cheeky one. The nicer one, the calm title is, um, <laughs> when did the father become good? Uh, and so I want us to go to a passage that's super familiar, but it's so familiar often we miss we, we miss it. It, it. It's been read and reread and preached on, and I want us to go to Luke 15. So if you have a, a Bible in any form, always good to have one on your phone, tablet, or good old-fashioned paper. <clears throat> in Luke 15... You'll know it well. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. And immediately that moves us to looking at the thing you've heard, if you've been in church at all, preached the most is the returning son, the, the wastrel who goes away and comes back. And, then, and, and here we've focused on that as we've talked about the nature of the father, the way that he welcomes the son back and embraces him. All good, all good. But there's actually more going on in this story than that piece of it and for that to be the way that the only way we look at it and the only juices and nutrients we get out of it is to miss something I think quite profound that Jesus is communicating uh, beyond just the, the prodigal story so I should have given you time to find uh, Luke 15 and verse 11 and we're going to read it through slowly because I don't want you to miss I may just sort of point out a couple of things on the way through okay and Jesus said this, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. <clears throat> and he divided his property between them. Notice, he divided his property between them. He had two sons, he divided his property between them, both of them. Uh, not many days later, the younger son, the cheeky one who made the request, gathered all that he had, which was probably quite substantial at this point, and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his prosperity in reckless living. <laughs> and when he'd spent everything, a severe famine across uh, came in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs, which we know for a Jew is highly degrading. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him a thing. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him. So he's got, he rehearses a little sentence, he thinks, might save his life father I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son treat me 
as one of your hired servants. So this is, I don't know how far he had to walk back, but this is going through his head. When I see that my dad, I'm going to tell him, I'm no longer worthy to be a son. I've sinned against you in heaven. Treat me as a, as a servant. That will be enough. And we might save my life. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. We didn't get the whole thing out even. And he got half of his rehearsed sentence. <laughs> because what's happening is the father said to his servants, so the father's ran up to him, embraced him and kissed him. And I think the, the level of affection and embrace that he's experiencing is so overwhelming he can't even finish his sentence. And, and the father butts in really and says quickly to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. If that was just the parable, that would, it's awesome, isn't it? Um, anyone who has difficulty with thinking about Father God as being affectionate, this just blows a hole. That, that Father God would be some sort of aloof, so holy that he doesn't ever hug us. So Luke 15 is, is a Trinitarian chapter. You've got the shepherd, Jesus, going to find the sheep. You've got Holy Spirit, which is, which is the, the lady who goes after the coin. And here you have the, fa the picture of the Father all saying similar things in different ways. This is about Heavenly Father, not just our Father. This is Jesus telling us in an incredible story what Heavenly Father is actually like. And he is one who runs up to us, smothers us with kisses, probably quite sweaty, because if you run in 40 degree heat and you're old and a little bit overweight, I've experienced all of those things. <laughs> the outcome of all of those things is sweat. So you could, you could treasure that moment if you like. But just imagine this, this father, or, or maybe don't imagine, certainly don't imagine me, that, that's not the point. But Heavenly Father in his passion and compassion, uh, embracing and kissing the son. And remember, it, 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 we're, we're struggling perhaps with the slightly sweaty image of God, but the son is honking. I mean, he's been with pigs. Um, so you have this very, very messy affectionate connection of father to his son. It's beautiful, isn't it? Just, just beautiful. Um, that's, and, and Jesus is telling us, this whole story is telling us about the father as well as about the sons. All right? It's about both. You need to hear about the father in this, in this parable, not just the son or the sons. <clears throat> now, it's oldest son. Remember the old... He stayed. He didn't go off. He was in the field, and he, as he came and drew near to their house, he heard music and dancing. <sighs> and he called one of his servants and said, what does this mean? And, and he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received in back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came, and he, 
the dad's doing it again. He's not waiting for the son to come in. The father's coming out. The father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, this is the father speaking, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He's lost and he's found. When did the father become good? When did the father become good in this story? Was it when he received the prodigal back? He suddenly had this rush of compassion and that was out of character. And uh, you have this beautiful story because suddenly the father becomes this accepting compassionate individual he's always been good and that that's that that gives us some challenges because really the story becomes about two sons who can't live with a good father Not just about the restoration of a wayward son to a father. The, the problem is two, two sons who are creating distance between them and a father who is always good. One creates physical distance, the other creates emotional distance. And you can tell that because, because he's angry and he's saying, you've never given me anything. So he's kind of bringing up what to him is a sore point. Now he's seeing this display of generosity and affection to his wasteful younger brother. This, this, this has piqued his anger and he can't hold it in anymore. He, he's full of resentment. He, there's, and he's just speaking as a, an angry servant. Say, I've served you all this time and you've never given me. You've never given me as much as a goat and if you've ever had goats even that's not a great treat in my my opinion I've I've eaten goat and that's all I want to say about it really um, I'm not planning on looking for a, a gourmet goat restaurant anytime soon I'm sure it's possible to have good goat but the goat I ate well enough said really you can tell can't you that what, what I'm saying is <clears throat> he's bitter and so what we're seeing is, 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 a, is a fit of anger and resentment triggered by the return of the wastrel son in the other son 
So what, what, what the picture is giving us here is here's, here's, a, here's a son, a young son, who asks the unforgivable ask, which is, I want my inheritance now, which is like saying, I wish that you were dead. He's a good father because he doesn't, he does, he does it. He, he does the thing. He, he, but he gives it to both of them. You have to remember that at the beginning of the story. He shares what he has between them both. And the second son says, you've never given me anything. He's believing a lie about his dad. I think he's demonized his father. So two sons, two different responses to a good father, a generous father, right? The father doesn't become good at the return of the prodigal or throwing the party. The father's always good and these two sons grow up in the house of a good father, the best father. This is, this is heavenly father's house that Jesus is talking about and what is happening here is telling us how humanity responds to the goodness of the good father. And there's two things that happen. We either run away actually or run away emotionally and spiritually from the good father until we allow his goodness to overwhelm our individual sense of repaying the debt. I don't think repentance happened in the pigs. I think repentance happened in the sweat and the kiss and the robe because the son that's returning is still coming with his plan. So he left with his plan and it failed. So he came up with a new plan to try and save his own life by going back to the father and renegotiating the relationship. He's still doing, he's still Mr. Self-reliant. Mr. Self-indulgent. And he's still believing a lie about his father because he can't believe that the father would have him back on the same terms as when he left. He's believing that the only way to re-engage with this good father is to be a different person, to not be a son any longer, but to be a servant or a slave. That way, I think I'll be able to live in the house again and at least get food. So I'll be some steps down from the, the exalted and honored place of being a son with the robe and the ring and the authority and the acceptance and all of that. He's making his own plan still until the father overwhelms the plan. And all the stories in Luke 15 are the same. So each, the, the other two end when the, when the lamb is found that's been captured in a bush. It says that the celebration in heaven over one sinner that repents. Uh... I don't know how that lamb repented other than it allowed himself to be rescued by Jesus. The coin that's lost is searched for by the woman and it says that there's rejoicing in heaven about one lost sinner who repents. I mean, there's a coin is an inanimate object, right? Stuck in the crack in the floor or something 
And that overwhelming acceptance of being found by God is called repentance. Allowing yourself to be truly found is repentance. Coming with our ideas of how to fix this relationship is not repentance. <laughs> so we have the prodigal and he's trying to renegotiate the relationship and the father's having none of it. He'll never have you back with him as anything other than a son or a daughter. I mean, it includes, there is no other kind of relationship to be had with Heavenly Father. He will not allow you, no matter how much you messed up, how long you messed up for, he will not allow you to relate to him in any other way other than a fully-fledged son with all the rights and all the inheritance of a son. That's how good he is. Doesn't matter what you wasted, doesn't matter what you did. There is nothing you can have done that can make him see you as anything other than a, a beautiful, loved son or daughter of his. So there's nothing that we are to fear in coming to him with our stuff. There's no reason to stay distant from the good father. We may have reasons, but there's no good reason. There's no true reason. There's fake reasons. There's fake news. The world is full of fake news about God. It's not about Donald Trump. There's fake, the biggest amount of fake news in the world is about God. And what we need to do in the church is get the fake news about the Father out of the church so that we can demonstrate and proclaim the good news of the Father to a world that is aching to know a good dad. So we, we know about the, the, elder, the elder brother's interesting. He's angry and resentful, but obedient and hardworking. I've met quite a lot of Christians in the church that are both of those things at the same time. They are hardworking, they're serving the Lord in the church, they're obedient, they're doing everything they're told, but underneath all that, they're resenting every moment. And that, that, creates distance between them and other people and distance between them and God because they're believing a lie. The, the, young, the older brother's position is predicated, is built on believing something that isn't true. He's saying, you never gave me anything and the truth is he had half of everything. And the father underlines that. He says, everything I have is yours. That's the truth. And, and why, why am I laboring this point? It's because it's the story of humanity. Adam and Eve in the garden, everything was provided. He was a good father and everything he made was good. And when he made them, he said it was very good. He put them in paradise and still they wanted to do their thing. Tempted by the devil who basically 
sowed in them the idea that the good father was not such a good father. That he was holding out on them, that they could be better, they could have more, it could be a better experience if they just did the thing that the devil wanted them to do. And so they chose that, they made that choice. And many evangelicals believe that as God ushered them out of the garden, he also ushered them out of his presence. But that isn't true. They're still in the presence of the Lord. But they keep hiding from the presence of the Lord because of their shame. God's still there. All right? In Genesis 3, he comes to look for them. They're now hiding. But if you read the story on, he's still there. The first person to leave the presence of the Lord is Cain in Genesis chapter 4. He's a good father. Even when you mess up, he's there for you. He's not withdrawing, he's pressing in. He knows that when it's going bad and then when it's tough and when we're failing is when we need him the most and he's not, he's not repelled by our difficulties, our sins and our failings. We've been taught that it's those things that make, that separate us from God and actually it's the lie we believe about God that separates us from God. But one of the, my, I have to say this, I have lots of favorite verses, forgive me. I'll share it, I'll share it with you if, you if you like. It's Ephesians 4, 17, it says, this, is, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Listen to this. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. What's, key, what's the alienation? Is ignorance. It's believing a lie about God. <laughs> They're responding, both of them, to the God of their imagination, not the God who's really there. And their behaviors demonstrate what they actually believe about the father until in the prodigal's case, he has an encounter that changes his life. God's always been good. And the only reason to remove yourself from his presence, to distance yourself from intimacy with him is if you're believing something that's not true about him. Romans 1 tells us that, that God's true nature was actually on full display for everyone to see, but men chose to ignore it and step away from it and then to propagate a lie about who he was and actually prevent people from embracing the truth. And they exchanged, they exchanged 
the goodness of God and a true image of God for, for, for gods of their own creation. This, this, this parable is the story of history. God is a good father. Anything that in you that goes, I can't be near him today, is a lie. And rooted in something inside of us that is believing something about him that isn't true. You can be religious, hardworking, resentful, and angry with him, and he's still coming out to you and inviting you into the party. And he's still telling you the truth today that you, you, if you feel you've had nothing from him, it's a lie. Everything he has is yours. Come and join the party and start to enjoy the inheritance he's already given you. And what we believe about him is what we behave about him is what we receive from him. So it's our belief about him that has to keep changing. Then we'll start to receive the realities that he promises. Do you understand? What I believe becomes my reality. Belief is an is a incredibly powerful, it is the currency of the heavenly realm. Faith fundamentally creates things. And it creates in the negative and in the positive. And there is another father. Jesus called him the father of lies. And he's trying to father lies in us. So any of the, and all of those lies are trying to separate us from the good father. And they're all trying to tell us that in some way and somehow he's not good enough to receive you, accept you, bless you, be affectionate to you, affirm you, embrace you, hold you through the worst moment, lift you up in your worst crisis. Somehow you need to do it on your own or somehow you just need to serve harder. Those are all lies. Isn't it amazing that ignorance can alienate? You know, every one of us is a hopeful, faith-filled, correct thought away from a major encounter with the Father. Should I say that again? Scripture tells us that ignorance alienates us so we're the ones stepping back and we're stepping back because we're believing something about him that isn't true Jesus said I am what the way the truth and the life so the problem for humanity described in this parable is we believe a lie about the father Jesus came to show us the truth about the Father because he was, he was the perfect articulation of God. He was the, the Word made flesh. He was fully God as well as fully man. He, he perfectly demonstrated the Father. And all, lots of people were completely freaked by his version of the Father because he came into a world that was saturated in lies about God. Which is why it's so important that our belief in Jesus is God and that he is perfect theology. He, theology isn't meant to be some esoteric ivory tower 
where people write books that only other theologians read. The idea of theology is the study of the truth about God, who he really is. And who he really is, is incredibly good, irresistibly good. But he won't make you love him. That's how good he is. He won't make you come into the party. That's how good he is. But he wants to tell you the truth so that you'll come into the party. Do you see? He wants to tell you, I have given everything I have is yours and I am always with you. Don't stay out of that reality. Don't stay out of the party. And then we think, we've been taught to think that the party only happens for repentant sinners. It's like, I don't particularly want to pick on anybody, but I might. Um, it's got to be jaunty. Sorry, I think, I think you're secure enough to be picked on right now. All right, so now I've lost my thread. That wasn't a good move. <laughs> Sinners, that's where I was going. Sinners, there you are. The party's in heaven. Thanks. Okay. Okay, my team at the front have helped me reassemble the message before we land in two minutes. What I thought, what I was taught was like, you know, here's an archetypal sinner, John T. And I, and I, and I, I, tell him that, I tell him that Jesus loves him and he needs to receive Jesus into his life. And if he doesn't, he's going to perish in hell. And if he falls under a bus tomorrow, he's in trouble. So he prays a prayer. And then I tell him, I open the Bible to the verse that says there's a party in heaven over one that repents. And he's like, oh, great. And I go on and there's, we'll lead you to Jesus, there's a party in you. And then we all think that was it. Yet the party was done. That, you got one party, end. <laughs> so some of us keep mucking up so we can keep repenting so we get another party. And I was thinking about we're not perfect parents. We're thinking about how many parties we had for our kids. It was not one. I'd like to suggest that he's introducing us to the party that's always happening about you. You're always celebrated by him. Good days, bad days. Breakthrough days depressing days, healthy days, sick days. He's never going, oh, I've really, really got no more patience left for you. There's always a party. You're always celebrated by him. He's always thinking the best, believing the best, cheering you on, enjoying your company, loving, loving your presence. That's, that's what he's like. Look how happy he is with the guy that just blew half the family's money. He's happy about everybody. I thought it was great this morning some of the kids just started laughing in worship. I thought, I think that's what's, what's God doing in the room. I think that was it. <laughs> yes, but we need to have a prophetic word. That was a prophetic word. That's what God was doing in the room. <laughs> some of us oldies just needed to join in, you know. So, 
He's a good dad. Anything that keeps us from him is a lie. Anything that stops us enjoying being celebrated by him and experiencing that ourselves is, is a lie. You don't have to be any better than you are. You don't have to make him happy. <laughs> Think about your kids. Sometimes they drive you crazy, but you keep loving them, don't you? You still give them a birthday party. And all this nonsense about if you're good, you'll get presents at Christmas is also nonsense. He's much better than that. Much better than that. So I'd, I'd like to invite us to, we're going to do a good old-fashioned appeal here. Um, not to get saved, although maybe, but to kick out any lies that are keeping you from the embrace of the good dad. If you're not wanting to be close, if you're not feeling he's close, you've not experienced that he's close, if you think you've messed up too much to ever have him close, if you think that all these encounters with God are for other people, all of those are lies. I'd like to invite you to kick those lies out of your life and be embraced by the good dad. Is that okay? And come to the, you're all invited to the party. But we do have to do, you know, like, the, the, there are maybe some older brothers in the room. You just need to believe that he's good and come and join the party with everybody else. <laughs> is, that, is that okay? So the appeal is, if there's anybody in this room who's feeling like I need to be close to the Father, I somehow think I'm not good enough, I've, I'm not really in the party, I shouldn't be in the party, let's kick all that junk out and let's come and join the party. Is that clear enough? What I was feeling before was, huh, yeah, it's still here. Um, it's like this river of Holy Spirit running across the front here. So I'd like to invite you to, if you want to, kick lies out and reestablish your intimacy with the Father and enjoy his celebration of you and his wet soggy kisses and his unconditional love and all the fun stuff that we read in this passage. If you want that reestablished in your life or and kicking out the lies that keep you away from him. So there is the Holy Spirit. He's, he's, he shows us the Father. He's just flowing through all of you right now. And just, just pray with me. Say, Father, I choose to kick out the lies that have kept me distant from you. Can you pray that to him right now? I choose to kick out the lies that have kept me distant from you. I choose to believe that you're good. Just tell him you choose to believe that you're good. And I choose to believe you have a party for me. I choose to believe I'm not excluded. Father, I want, to, I want to fall into your embrace. Can you? I want to fall into your embrace. I want to. I just want to submit to your embrace in my life right now. Okay, Holy Spirit, will you marinate these wonderful people in the love of the Father? We're just, we're just going to let you soak in that for a minute, and then we're going to pray for you.